Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. Hi, I'm really excited to be joined today by Andrew Drury from Road Safety Smart and Charlotte Lemaire from DAC Beechcroft. She's Head of Criminal Motor Defence at the Solicitors. And today we're talking about road safety and it's a special on road safety and part of a two part special uh, where we're going to be focusing on how to raise awareness and enlightenment around road safety with transport operators as well as practical advice and support for the future. So this is one not to be missed, please do enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to a Half Dozen Things podcast. I'm really excited to be joined today by Andrew Drury and Charlotte Lemaire from DAC Beechcroft. Now, it's absolutely amazing to have you guys join me and I'm really, really pleased as well. Um, Charlotte, your role is Head of Criminal Motor Defence. Are you able to just give yourself a bit of an introduction for the listeners, please? Yeah, hi Pete, no problem. So I head up a national team, it's Criminal Motor Defence team at DAC Beechcroft. And essentially, we represent drivers charged with any kind of road traffic offence, so ranging from causing death by dangerous driving all the way down to your speeding offences um, and, 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 and anything like that. So Crown Court cases, Magistrates Courts cases, transport, transport operator licensing issues, um, so essentially anything criminally transport related. Excellent. So do you attend public inquiries if um, the DVSA have found an operator sort of fallen short of their undertakings as part of their operator licence? Yeah, not personally, but um, in my team, I have um, a chap called Stephen Sadler who who does that um, specialist kind of work. So what we have are people that specialise in every um, different area um, of, of transport. Excellent. Thank you, Charlotte. And I'm also joined today by Andrew Drury as well from Road Safety Smart. Um, Andrew, are you able to give yourself a bit of an introduction to the listeners, please, and your background as well? Yeah, sure, Pete. Um, I've been a collision investigator for 20 years. So the word collision may be a bit strange to some of the people out there listening because most people refer to accidents, but uh, accidents don't just happen, but collisions, there's always a reason behind it. So uh, that's why we class them as collisions. Um, so I've worked with insurers and solicitors during that time, dealt with over 40,000 collisions in that period of the time, hence why six, seven years ago started moving into the road safety aspect of things to try and prevent collisions happening in the future and learn, let, let us learn from our mistakes because the industry as a whole, the transport industry is not very good at learning from its mistakes. Yeah, fascinating because I 
we've we've had a bit of a brief phone call, haven't we, before before this session? And uh, I find I find it fascinating. I previously read uh, Matthew Syed's book about black box thinking, which is about investigating accidents and making sure that we understand what's happened when something's gone wrong. And I find that uh, a really fascinating process. So um, initially, this session we're going to look at how we can raise awareness within fleet operators and how transport managers and business owners can look to implement sort of best practice for road safety as well. Um, are you guys able, and I'll leave it open to you to whoever wants to sort of go first on sort of raising awareness and how best to do that with it from a fleet point of view? I think in that respect, I think for people is not to be afraid to ask questions. I think that's the problem we have from raising awareness. There's the issue that we all know safety is paramount. We all have health and safety legislation and we know it's there. And I think a lot of people, and Charlotte will agree from some of the, the cases that she deals with from a, a defense perspective that everybody will have policies, but majority of operators out there will have them just for a tick box and exercise. And it's just to me, legal obligations, meet insurance obligations to, to show and um, to show they can they can trade and have the ability to trade where very little by way of processes and procedures behind it. What would you say, Charlotte? Yeah, so I'd agree with that. I think it depends very much on the company. There are some companies and fleets that are obviously um, fantastic and they have, um, we've worked with them for a long time and they have taken it seriously and they've kind of come on quite a bit with their um, with their health and safety and, and, and taking guidance and, and then putting that guidance into practice. Um, different fleets are at different stages of that journey. But I think often what I've, I've found through through the years that I've been practising is that actually until something happens, transport managers, fleet operators or directors, um, they don't quite realise the severity or the seriousness and what, what can occur, what the consequences are, what, what the penalties can be. And in fact, it's something that although they're loosely aware of, that they're not really completely engaged with it. And, and that isn't at all um, a criticism because I think until something happens to you, your company i don't think you really quite appreciate that it can happen and what what can come from that so i think a lot of the time what we have is incidents or collisions occurring and then it's the fallout from that incident and and, and makes people sit up and think actually um we need to have a proper process in place for this and um, we thought we had something but it doesn't quite work and it needs some tweaking around the edges um, and maybe we need a bit of specialist advice and we can get it right and and maybe prevent something from happening again. And I think often until it's happened, um, you don't always realise where the holes are or where the gaps are. I think I think that's really what we'd say, isn't it, Andrew? I would agree. And I think for for you, Pete, I think it's and, and the listeners, it's a case of this year has been a great example of what we face working in the safety industry on a daily basis and have done up until this year. But I think it's this year has really focused a lot of people to realise that safety does cost money and look how much it costs the government to, to get everything in place and to try and keep companies running. But there's a lot of things companies can do for themselves a little bit more to help themselves without spending a lot of money. Uh, and safety in that respect from managing a fleet doesn't always cost as much as people think. Well, I think that Charlotte's exa example there is because it's never really happened to us before, do we really need to 
look at this situation and tackle this situation. And I think I think COVID this year has changed, has moved the goalposts massively for, from a safety perspective because nobody can really say it'll never happen to us anymore because what's happened this year has affected everybody. Whether you're a fleet operator or you're, running, you're, you're a headmaster at a school or a head teacher or a nurse or a solicitor, how many solicitors are working from home now that have never worked from home before? It's changed everybody massively because it has happened to them. So we know something ultimately will happen to a fleet operator out there, whether it's the driver, whether it's the fleet on its own or something separate that will need Charlotte's help or my help to, to, to guide them through certain certain choppy waters. So from a raising awareness point of view, say for argument's sake, I, I'm, I'm managing a fleet and one of my drivers uh, is involved in a fatal collision where in his vehicle he hits a vulnerable road user. Um, for the benefit of the listeners who don't know what that may be, that could be a pedestrian or a cyclist or, or what have you, uh, someone who's not, not protected by the, the metal shell of a vehicle uh, is classed as a vulnerable road user. Um, with regards to sort of the policies in place, what what's the difference if we sort of follow the process of what will happen to that driver and the company who employ him? What 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 does the journey look like if the policies are in place and correct in comparison to them being in play or they're, they're not being the correct policies in place? What what's the difference in the way that that's treated? So obviously, from the beginning, the police and or the health and safety executive are investigating this. Um, and they will turn over every single stone. Now, if a company has everything in place, so if they have a, a, a policy, a vulnerable road users policy, if they've given the drivers the correct training, if they've got the policy, but not just stuffed on the shelf, but actually trained out to the drivers and the drivers know where it is and it's reviewed regularly and it's looked at and, it's, and, and also that they look at how they implement and manage the policy. So if they look at, um, and investigate near misses involving vulnerable road users. And if they look at then the lessons learned and what they can do to change from that, if all of that is evidenced and in place, the health and safety executive, when it comes to the company, uh, are gonna look at that and they're gonna think, okay, well, this is a company that's got its house in order. Actually, there isn't really anything else that the company could have reasonably done to have prevented this. So this is just something that's happened. It's then potentially obviously driver error or and or pedestrian error, of course, or vulnerable road user error. Because of course, it's not always the driver's fault either. But of course, the driver would then be, be investigated. Um, but of course, again, if the company has done everything right, the driver is, isn't saying anything um, detrimental to the company because they, they feel supported and they're saying, well, actually, I, I had all the proper training. So um, everything works well. If, of course, the driver has has um, made an error or, or done something wrong, which, and, and are you wrong in, in, in inverted commas, because, of course, as drivers, none of us are perfect and that can happen, even if policies are in place, of course it can. Um, the, the driver will be supported and, and, and everything will be done to, to help that driver and mitigate um, any kind of sentence that he or she might might get. But of course, it may be that they haven't done anything wrong. And of course, then the driver and the company um, are both in the clear. Um, and of course, they're less likely to have done something wrong if, if they're properly trained and they're following proper procedure. If, of course, the company haven't got that kind of thing in place or if it's just a nod to it and that the health and safety executive can see that actually um, there's an old dusty policy on the shelf that hasn't really been looked at or, or, or signed off, 
then of course they're going to become a lot more interested in that company. And then of course they're going to look at potentially other things as well. So uh, an investigation into one thing can lead into investigations into all sorts and the company can be turned over for things like that. And it's important to know that the driver may well be in the frame, but the company does, that doesn't necessarily mean the company walks away from it. So of course they're going to be much more interested crawling all over that. Um, and obviously um, prosecutions and or improvement notices can occur um, as a result of anything health, health and safety executive do. So of course you just have a, a very different line as you say as, as a, a company looking at everything properly or a company not doing um, it gives the health and safety executive a very different flavour of either a company who's who's really bothered about health and safety um, and not just paying lip service to it versus a company that that, that really isn't and, and, and attitude is everything and I, th I think Andrew would agree with that that I think if you if you do everything you possibly can and you're reviewing regularly you're going to paint a much better picture i think it's i, I totally agree with what charlotte's saying there peter and, and i think everybody listening will will probably resonate with that and they can probably sit back and think are we just doing it just for the sake of doing it or are we doing it for the right reasons and i think we've got we've come a long way as i think solicitors and, and, and people like yourself who are, who are Help find out happening, and it's not for a case of how much is it going to cost an insurer at the end of the day. It's a case of how can we learn from it to change a culture from just the tick box exercise and to meet the bare minimum to what some of the major companies throughout the country who lead on health and safety, where it becomes health and safety is the top of every route planning operation it's the top of every fleet operation it's the top of every driver welfare operation it's embedding a culture a positive culture instead of being a reactive culture it's embedding a positive proactive culture that no matter what we do this will always take precedence and i think that's what we learn from the, when an incident goes right or goes wrong who is doing it for the right reasons and who is trying to make their job as easy as possible and Charlotte's job when it comes to defending somebody that she asks a question and they get, she gets the answer and all the evidence straight away. So, so asking a question and then we're waiting, could wait three or four weeks while people are trying to find the evidence and the answers to the questions that really should be straightforward to answer, shouldn't they, Charlotte? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, that's the thing you've got to think that um, if you've got everything in place and you're asking the right questions and you're getting the right advice, um, then it just puts puts you puts you ahead. Of course, of course. Okay, and with regard to sort of near near miss reporting, I think that's a really important thing that that we've just raised that people can implement quite rapidly, um, as well as sort of po policies and what have you. But asking drivers to report near misses, what what does that invest investigation process look like? Um, you know, what what is a near miss and and how best do they report it and then follow up and and to sort of make the other drivers aware of what happened and and what best practice may be. I think I think I'll take that one, Pete. Um, being the person out and about on the road, getting wet and cold when these things happen, uh, unlike Charlotte sitting in the office. But I think it's it's great. A near miss needs to be investigated. But is a near miss the right terminology? Is it a near collision? Because it's something that's not quite happened. If it's almost been a collision, but it's a miss for whatever reason. There's not been a collision. But I think. That's just a play on words, but I think it's a case that most collisions that get investigated 
thoroughly and in depth are generally serious collisions, ones that are either life-changing for for, the, for one person involved, it's either a fatality or, or it's potentially costing a lot of money. So people will look at those investigations and see and try and find out everything they can. In the greater scheme of things, those things are, are quite few and far between, Pete. So they're not as regular. And when you think from stats that are given out by fours that for every one fatality in this country, there's 100,000 near misses. So you've got 100,000 near misses to learn a lot from to try and stop a fatality happening. So and that, to take that even further, they also reckon there's about 600,000 unsafe acts of driving for each fatality. So that's not a near miss, but that just could be a, a case of speeding or cornering too fast or whatever. There's so many things behind a collision that can we can learn before that collision happens. So a, a near miss investigation doesn't need forensics but it still needs to be investigated in a similar sort of way. The, you have a set process to do every investigation because consistency then, again, from what Charlotte said before with the authorities, the traffic commissioner going to court, if you can show that you have the same process for your near misses as you do for actual collisions, then what can be said that you do the job differently for one type of one incident compared to another? If you have that same consistency, what? Even an interview with a driver for a near miss, for me, as an investigator, would still be probably 70 questions long, minimum, because there's a lot to learn about the near miss and what's gone on in the day. It's not just that incident. It's not just that what's happened for that near miss. It's what's led up to that near miss. And it could be something in work. It could be something that they've had a phone call from home, going up, things happening away from work that an employer wouldn't ask about as part of an investigation in most instances because it's only a near miss and it's and it's the same with technology we see the the false positive the the near misses coming forward with harsh braking and things like that and a lot of transport managers because there's no claim involved will just get rid of the evidence and not look to learn from it and you shouldn't you should look review that in the same way as you would a, a, an incident a clip showing an actual collision got you Got you. So one of the things, one of the things I do proactively as a as a as a transport consultant for for my clients is that I I look at the the telematics software and I look at the report in each month, and I'll I'll look at the driver behaviour and I put points against certain things like harsh braking and harsh acceleration and that sort of thing. Would you would you is that a good process to follow for operators where they start to pick apart and speak to drivers about their driving behaviour as well? It's a good process to follow, or should we say it's a good starting point. It's what process you follow from the start, I think, is the most important thing. And is it a case of how do you speak to the driver? Do you speak to the driver in a way that makes them feel they've done something wrong? Or do you speak to a driver as, a, as an education and an influencing and trying to influence change in their behaviour? they're massive poles apart and I think we're starting to we're, we're gradually going from it's a disciplinary process automatically or a, a performance process to changing a culture process and, ch and influencing a change in 
drive a behavior to become better drivers. So I think the issue then is if a driver doesn't believe they've done something wrong and you can't see they've done something wrong, then it's very difficult to change mindset. If we can start influencing to understand what what they've done is wrong because of X, Y, and Z, and then they start asking questions about themselves and why they've done it. And that would be the same for Charlotte. If the if she's if if it goes to court and she's trying to defend one of her clients, is getting them getting an understanding of what the driver knows helps change that question. And that is one of the things, one of the questions we will always ask as an investigation is why did that incident happen? Why did you ask the driver, why do you think that was a near miss? And how could you how could you have stopped that near miss happening? Not how could the other person, but how could you stop that near miss happening? So I've just had to mute the mic because the dog's going off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's knocked at the door and the dog's going off. So apologies. Yeah, no, I so I understand it. Behavioural change is, is hugely is, is hugely important and the way we approach that. Would you would you say from a from a transport operator point of view that we've got some in your experience, we've got some way to go in the way that we approach the conversations we have with team members and the way that we approach it as an educational process rather than, a, you know, from a, evolving it from a stick conversation to a carrot instead. It's, diff it's difficult to say, Pete, because obviously we don't know, um, we're not privy to, to that, those private conversations and um, or, or, or all of them. So it's difficult to get a flavour across the board. I think it's likely um, that there's there's some work to do in terms of um, actually getting, even some companies getting that data reviewed, looking at it, and then um, as to how those conversations happen. I think more and more fleet operators understand that it is an education piece. So um, there, there's, there's not a lot of point um, berating drivers, it, you know, if, if it's just a question of there's work to be done and actually lessons that can be learned rather than, um, like you say, just using the stick all the time. But I think it, it's probably difficult for us to say um, that that isn't um, changing or, or, or happening. Um, I certainly think with um, some of the fleets that I'm, I'm working with, I think the education piece is starting to filter down. Um, I don't know what you would say about that, Andrew. I think it is. I, I would totally agree. And I think the, going back to your original example piece of highlighting issues that have been shown from the technology data, I think that is something that has really taken a lot of people by surprise is how much data they do collate and how dangerous it is not to act on the data uh, or to be showing to act on the data. Um, there's a great adage out there, isn't there? If you don't know about it, there's nothing you can do. But as soon as you fit that telematics unit or you fit that camera, the clock's ticking for the data being processed and, and gathered. And as soon as it lands on the server, you're deemed to know about it. Whether you look at it or not is another issue. So I think that's where it's not just an education piece for the drivers. It's an education piece for the managers to know they've got to do something with that data, but have then educate the drivers going down the line as well um where i think it started it's, when the technology came in it started the other way around it was we'll educate the drivers from the data but the managers have to do something with the driver but it really starts with the management process of it the transport manager so yeah it, it's getting there it's getting there slowly but surely 
Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. In, in my experience, I think um, we, we are starting to make progress, but I do, you know, I, I work with several operators and we do see um, there is there is a case of um, challenges sometimes in the way that the that, that, that drivers can behave and, and, and that can be a challenge as well. One of the things we do um, is, is driver CPC training, which is a good opportunity. And... Um, we we speak to drivers from all sorts of different companies, and um, there, there's a there's a real wide range out there in approaches to to, to safety as well. How um, whilst whilst we're sort of talking about driver CPC training or, or fours or what have you at this stage, what's a what's a great way that that trainers can really get uh, drivers to engage with raising awareness on safety as well? Is there is there anything that we can be doing as a as an industry to to help support that too? um for me i think i think the change in places that fours have done in london in particular by getting the drivers out of the cab onto bikes is a big one um and safe urban driving is is a big one um I, but again it's reinforcing it a lot of those drivers have done the course once and that's it they tick the box and it could have been done five or six years ago things have changed massively there's probably another 10 percent number of vehicles on the increase in the number of vehicles on the road in that time so things have changed um we've probably got more vans on the road now than we have before so should there needs to be training for van drivers as well not just commercial drivers because van drivers are professional drivers so should cpc expand across as well to van drivers going forward i think that's an argument to, to look at but training is vital um I think it's. I think one of the things we've we've really come to understand over the years is that a lot of drivers out there don't know what the penalties and consequences are, Pete. Mm -hmm. And I think once they know what the penalties are and the consequences are for some of the actions they take, it makes them sit up and think a little bit more. What do you say, Charlotte? Yeah. So. I think a lot of the time that the, the most frequent thing that I hear when I, I come to a case to, to start to defend it and I, I speak to the driver, they say, well, but how, how is that possible? Because I didn't do it on purpose. I've not, you know, I, I didn't I didn't drive into that person or that, that car or, or, or that lorry on purpose. And I said, well, of course you didn't. You, you, you're going about your, your daily duties. But if you'd have done it on purpose, the charge would be murder. <laughs> it wouldn't be causing death by dangerous or careless driving. Um, because that's, of course, as, as we know, not an ingredient of, of that charge. But I think there is a genuine lack of knowledge. And, of course, they, they would be because they're not lawyers and they haven't ever had anything like this happen to them before, mostly. Um, and I think there is a general ignorance as to what can happen as a result of what they perceive as an accident. And of course, we know these days there isn't really such a thing as an accident. It's a collision. It's called a collision for a reason because it, there's always fault somewhere. It might not be theirs. It might be the third party. Um, it might be a defect. It might be a road defect, a vehicle defect. But there's always fault somewhere. And I think it is a genuine um, lack of understanding and a lack of knowledge that actually the vehicle that they're in charge of, the job that they do every single day, can bring such severe consequences to them personally as a result of what they perceive as an accident. I think that's the most shocking thing for me is that they should be in a position where they understand what can happen if something happens on the road. And actually that then may 
help with some of the decisions that they take whilst they're on the road. Of course, it wouldn't stop everything because as we know, um, we all make mistakes or we, we are the subject of somebody else's mistake. Um, but I think it would certainly help um, the more that they're aware of what, what can happen as a result, I think. Absolutely. And with regards um, sort of raising that awareness, it, who, whose responsibility is it for, for, for drivers to ha have, have the level of awareness? Is it, is it a, as an industry, do we do well enough, I suppose, is the question, because there's, there's multiple ways which we can get that information to drivers for them to understand through training sessions, through their management teams, through the operator themselves, but also through the industry press as well. Do you feel that we we, we do enough as an industry or, or what we could do better to help raise awareness? Um, I think there's a lot more we can do to raise awareness, uh, if I'm honest. I think the industry has just concentrated on Brexit and COVID over the last 12 months, two years, three years, whatever, and rightly so. But I think a lot of people perceive safety changes that the vehicles are getting safer, but it doesn't mean the drivers are getting safer. Uh, and I think a lot of drivers believe that because the vehicles have so much more technology on them and safety processes on them and gadgets that they don't have to think about the driving as much. Um, but whose responsibility is it? The question we ask in our webinars, it's it's both the driver and the employer. I think the issue we have is that 44 million people have a driving license. So they're perceived to know what they should know, uh, but they don't always know, as we know from what Charlotte just said, that people are ignorant of the law. And I think that's where policies let people down, is a policy will say, all our your all drivers, our employees who drive for work should, will drive within the letter of the law. But if they don't know what the law is exactly, how do they know how to drive within the letter of the law? So this is where the awareness comes in that just because we've got a driving license, an employer shouldn't say, think, oh, he or she knows how to drive on the road. That's not quite the right way of looking at it. Um, and I think... The employer needs to satisfy themselves that they are confident that their employee is competent to, to undertake the task of driving for work. Um, HGV drivers, commercial vehicle drivers drive for work because that is their job description and their job title. Where a plumber, electrician, driving is part of their everyday activities and is not detailed on their um, contract of employment as a, as a daily task. So... It's one of the biggest things they will do. A lot of them will drive more than they actually do the physical activity of plumbing or electrical work. So, but it's not on the contract of employment. So it needs to be a, come from both angles. An employer needs to be aware that the employee understands what the, what it is they're doing when they're driving. Of course, with uh, with with so many exemptions for driver CPC, as well as um, van drivers under three and a half tons being far less regulated than than heavier goods over three and a half tons, um, do you believe we can do more to 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 regulate that sector? Should should we be doing more in the interest of road safety to regulate that sector? Charlotte, yeah, I, th I think we should. I think it's a good point. Um, I think 
this is another issue that we face all the time. It's not just, um, yeah, it's the van drivers, but it's also the grey fleet. So it's, it's, it's your company car and um, drivers. I mean, it's just not regulated in the slightest. So obviously we have the HGV and they are regulated and we, we know that they shouldn't and not often really can't drive longer than they're supposed to, but you will get um, business executives um, regularly driving six, nine plus hours in a day, doing a meeting and, you know, working almost effectively around the clock and that is entirely unregulated. And I think companies need to do more to have a look at what their policies say about that and, and what's trained out because we do just leave an awful lot to chance when it comes to um, under three and a half tonnes, as you say, and, and grey fleet. I think it's a great example at the minute though, Pete, that I've ordered, like millions of other people have ordered stuff online over the last few months. Uh, probably more than we would normally do. Um, but I got a text the other day for an order. My order was my order was number 147 of 197 for that driver on that day in a van. And it was supposed to be here by three o'clock in the afternoon. It didn't arrive till half past nine in the evening. So how many other jobs? He's, he still effectively had 50 jobs after mine. So is he still expected to do those all those drops in the day? I think as much as health and safety don't get involved in transport, I think the one thing employers need to look at from a regulatory perspective that Charlotte's team would, would be looking at as well is what the health and safety guidance for work is for driving because Grey Fleet, Company Car Fleet should be the same, regulate, should be monitored and looked at in the same way as other fleet operators do. Not from a tachograph perspective and things like that, but from how you monitor your records, how you, you're checking whether how long drivers are driving, are they doing the vehicle checks, things like that. Just because it's not part of you don't have an operator's license doesn't mean you don't do, do a vehicle check every day before you drive it. Okay. So um thank you, thank you. The the we've we've done a great job so far of sort of raising awareness of of the the, the implications and the and the risks involved with road safety. How um from an enlightenment point of view, how are we going to move into sort of 2021 and and what are we doing? Um, I know, there's is there a project going on at the moment with BAC Beechcroft about how we're enlightening companies? Yeah, so what we've, Andrew and I have been trying to do um, over the course of the last few months is um, a series of webinars which we've managed to do which all cover all aspects of fleet safety, the pitfalls and where you can change your behaviours um, and, and we also cover consequences um, and penalties which I think is a big thing as we've said um, to roll out. We've been doing that for, for various um, different organisations as well as, as, as the clients of DC Beechcroft so we're hoping that the message is getting out there and essentially it's, it's to promote um, a, a new product that DAC Beechcroft have, la have launched called Resilience and it's effectively a proactive product. So instead of us being there when disaster strikes, which of course we will always be there for our clients when disaster strikes, what we're trying to do is to help companies avoid that disaster in the first place. Um, so it's, it's effectively a proactive product that looks at managing a fleet and, and hopefully helps uh, transport managers and, and health and safety directors, hopefully it helps them manage the pain of managing the fleet because obviously we realise and as I'm sure they do when I've spoken to them, many of them say this, that actually it's a, just a huge part of their job is, is fleet safety. And, and they really do struggle with it because it's not the only part of their job. Of course, they're managing a fleet, as you will well know, um, on, on top of everything else. And I think that's where resilience comes in. And, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help um, 
fleets and companies with the safety side of it. So looking at um, gap analysis, audits, policies, training out to the management as well as the drivers. Um, and also providing collision investigation service and, and a near-miss collision investigation service um, should that, that be what they're looking at. Um, so that, that's really what we've been trying to do over the last few months and that's what we're going to try and do um, in 2021 as well to try and push that out to as many people who feel they need the service. I think, Peter, I think the, the resilience product, it's there. It's one of the resilience has been a word that I've noticed used a lot more on the news items and things like that for different things people are doing. And I think it really resonates with what the product does. It's there to strengthen what processes people have in place. It's there to support them, put those processes in place if they haven't got it and to protect them as if and when the worst happens. But I think what's different is that it's a solicit it's the solicitors being involved in a process that is proactive instead of them being called when it's a reactive situation and it's not just solicitors being involved when the disaster happens it's trying to work with a, as a collaboration with the, with the clients to say look your solicitors here all the time speak to them they can guide you in the we can guide you in the best way possible to protect you as much as we can before anything happens. Don't wait for it to happen. Work with us now and work with the solicitors proactively to, to stop these things happening, to change your processes, to change your policies. Let's see where the, the problems are. And even on the cases that are classed as a disaster that gets Charlotte's team involved is we do a review of the case afterwards to show where the gaps were, what worked well, so when Charlotte asked the, the awkward questions, I need X, Y, and Z, the directors would be able to give that information over straight away. But when I asked for A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, all that information was missing. Why was it missing? So we need to look at ways of making sure if it happens again, we've got all those things in place. So it's like doing a, a case review, What for want of a better thing. Once it's finished in court, it, the case is not finished. It's the starting point for processes to change going forward to, to stop it happening again. Amazing. It sounds almost like a like a management system, like an ISO product or something like that, where you can proactively interact and, and, and put different processes in place, particularly with the gap analysis. So you can sort of find out where people are missing, missing what they need to then be able to backfill that. Is it is that am I sort of barking up yeah. the right way? Yeah, absolutely. And what it is, it's quite flexible. So even though there are several different packages that can be taken, they can all be um, chopped and changed depending on what that company needs, because not everybody is going to need the same thing. People will be at different places in their kind of safety journey, or um, they might just need different things because of the size of their business or what their business does. So effectively, we go in there, we see what people need, um, and then we work out between everybody because it's a collaborative process. And um, we work out between everybody what would work well and, and what won't and um, what they've got in place that works well, that could be could work better and um, what doesn't need touching. And, and that's effectively. Yeah, that's effectively what it is. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic stuff. OK, brilliant. So we'll draw to a close on on, on this session. And in the in future, we're, we're going to put a date in the diary and we're going to talk more about practical advice and support in the future. And, uh, and, and we'll talk more about those. Where can just to sort of sign off on this, where can people go and find those webinars you've been running? Are they pre-recorded or have they kind of missed them now? Is Are people able to go and find those? Charlotte? 
So we've we have actually we've done the series for DAC Beechcroft and they are actually recorded. So if anybody does want um, any information, then they can contact um, me or um, Andrew and we can get some information to them um, that way. Um, but equally, there are some coming up in the future in 2021 um, because we haven't quite finished um, with the series of webinars. So if there's any, any interest, then again, you can contact us. Um, they're on the website. Um, so you can you can go on um, and see and sign up for them um, if should you be interested in those topics. Um, but again, you can always contact us for, for any of the previous ones and we'll try and get some information to you. Yeah, oh, fantastic. That's uh, that, that, that sounds absolutely brilliant for, for listeners to be able to catch up with, with yourself, Charlotte and Andrew on those and, and to have a look at the DIC Beechcroft website to, to have a look at those too. So um, finally, are you guys happy to come back and join me for another session? That'd be fantastic. Absolutely, Pete. Absolutely. <laughs> Loaded question there. Right, I'll sign up for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you found it really insightful us talking about road safety today um, and fleet safety too. Please do uh, share with people and and share with your colleagues, and uh, we can all work together to improve road safety for for the greater good of everyone. Anyway, so uh, yeah, and we'll see you on the next session. Thank you. I really hope you loved today's episode, and if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners, and we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.